Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, the brand worn by John McEnroe, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. The new Young Line sneaker they rolled out is tremendous. It is my favorite walk-around shoe by far. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com and use the code CRAIG30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. In the 90s, he got to 7 in the world and won 15 tournaments, including the 1991 Italian Open. Additionally, he got to number 1 in the world in doubles. He posted wins over Vlander, Lendl, Edberg, and Becker. He was a Davis Cup stalwart and captained the winning team from Spain in 2008. Along with Sergio Casal, he is the principal and namesake of one of the most famous tennis academies in the world. The only person with a better tennis resume in his family is his sister. Emilio Sanchez is today's guest. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, can you hear me, man? I'm here, you man. <laughs> and, uh, and you are in Naples? Yes, I'm in Naples, Florida. How is Naples? Do you enjoy Naples? Well, Naples is very, very quiet, very, very boring. <laughs> but uh, for for uh, an academy and, and for what I do, it's, it's a perfect setup because it's um, no distractions and uh, you can really focus on on, uh, on developing the kids and so on. I, so it's a, it's a great place and a great, great, great area, great weather, great beaches. So I, I can't mean, complain. <laughs> you're from Spain, baby. You guys go to dinner at midnight. You, you, yeah. you guys, you don't, you can't do that in Naples, that's for sure. I know, I know, but in Spain I was tough because I was doing too many things. So the dinners at midnight was not very good for your health. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, you hear as former world number seven, Spanish Davis Cup stalwart, former Davis Cup captain, winner of the Davis Cup, world number one in doubles, uh, French Open champion with Andres Gomez in doubles. The brother to a former world number one, Arancha Sanchez Vicario, and the brother to another pro player. Actually, two other pro players. We're going to talk about that. And that's Emilio Sanchez. Listen, very nice to uh, meet you. I've never met you, so that's very cool. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to your show. Generally speaking, we do a five-set format, but we're going to go right into the second set because, listen, to have a, uh, to have a great player from Spain to talk about, you know, what just happened in Paris is incredible. What do you say about Rafa Nadal? Well, what, what can you say? You cannot describe in words what he's done. And, and because winning in Paris is like the ultimate battle normally, like for a, a player. But he's done it 13 times now. So it's, it's like... Every year we, we talk about it. Every year is more, it's a bigger mountain. It's, and and, and um, every year he, he brings something, he adds something, he brings some, you know, like it's, 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 it's like a nicer story, you know, like this year, you know, that everything was looking like he will struggle and he will, the indoor and the, and the humidity and the bad weather and the balls, but he, the guy didn't lose one set. So he, he over... <laughs> overcomes any type of, of adversity. He's so resilient and he likes so much the, the, the he has so much passion for the battle and, and, and that's the his ultimate spot and, and uh, like to, 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 to give away that, that drive that he has to, 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 to fight and, 
and he just loves to 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 be in that place and he finds finds the way and he had a, the final against the number one against the player that that makes him normally more more damaged and and he takes him away the, the confident but um he went there and he surprised everyone with uh, with a uh, with with the way that he um went on the match and uh, so aggressive and uh, tried to position himself inside the core all the time and and not letting djokovic have that have the time to think almost and uh, he just played the, like the perfect first two sets and and uh, and um he make he made Djokovic being there like if he was not there in some way because he was like <laughs> what is happening to me like six zero six two is like like uh, like on clay is is is, is tough <laughs> and and you know it was interesting it was uh, I, I I rewatched the match this morning to get ready for the interview and Emilio it was like they had played thirty minutes and it was three love. You know, like Djokovic was was in position to win games, and he couldn't win a big point once. <laughs> he didn't win one big point once. Yeah, and and and, and that goes. I suppose that goes on, on his mind. And and uh, what what what? Yesterday, I was I was saying is that that how come that he don't win any big points at the start of the match. Uh, the biggest match for him and, and for Rafa. And, and um, he, he loses those big points and he don't show himself. Like, like and, and he, okay, Rafa plays some unbelievable points because he plays some really great shots and, and everything. But in, in, in many of those points, uh, Novak didn't play his game. So, so I, I, and, and, and that, that, that was like, like, you don't miss like first shots. You don't miss shots that he was not forced. And then you, you just try to go for things that they don't come to the moment for a number one, you know, In a, and, and the attitude after losing that point is like if nothing happened. And that's not the Djokovic that, that we know. And it's like if, if he, if all the issues that he had in his place in, 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 in US Open and, and with the union and with everything, like, like if he was like say no, I cannot show who I am here. I, I because I show, I show a Djokovic that he always had this 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 kind of like like a problem that that with 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 the people accepting more Rafa and Roger, he always had this this thing about about himself like like being less and 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 with these situations it's like okay I'm now I'm playing the king of clay on clay in Paris. And and, uh, and, uh, and 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 he's killing me, and I'm not reacting to that. So so it's, it's, you have to be yourself, you know, in those, those moments. And I think he was like shocked. And then in the third set, when he had the, he started to be himself and 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 yell and and and, and do the things. And in those moments, also he didn't he didn't put the, the 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 consistency to whatever he was doing. It doesn't matter if he goes to the net or plays deep or cross or down the line but you have to be consistent with what you're doing because that puts you in that place and 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 let's just and also just to 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 further your point he you can't win tennis matches in pro tennis serving 47 percent first serves against especially against rafa nadal and he did seem out of sorts 
he seemed a little bit numb. And then even when he tried to work himself into the match, like, I mean, to try to drop shot Rafa Nadal in the French Open final seems like a bad plan, man. He didn't win well, one. <laughs> well, it can be a good plan, but, but only when you take Rafa from his area. And, 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 and Rafa, in his plan, was to not back up. So if, if Rafa don't lose ground, he, the, only, the only moment he could, in some way, what is impossible, he, he could drop Sir Rafa is when he returns, that he's in back there at the end of the court. And then maybe you can do a drop shot with the serve. But, but in the game, I, I think, I, I didn't speak to Rafa, but I'm sure that he had the plan to don't, don't back up. And don't, don't, back let, up. Don't, don't, don't let him space, because normally Djokovic puts him away from his normal area through the forehand or through the backhand. And then he has the space to make the drop shot. But it's like if he wanted to make the drop shot without working the prior shot. And, and, and that, I think, that, that was, was a big, big, um, big problem. And he made some good shots. Like, Rafa arrived and surprised him. He, he wins some, some counter, counter drop shots with cross-court balls, with, with fake balls. And it was like, oh, I make the drop shot. He's not going to arrive, but he arrives. It's like if the drop shot is going to be magic and, and you are gonna win, you're not going to win the drop shot to Rafa. He's going to put the ball up. But if you don't wait for the next ball, and then he's going to pass you. And that happens a lot of times. I felt like watching Novak play through the tournament, it almost seemed like he was getting so confident in his drop shot that he thought that he was going to use it effectively against Rafa the way he did against Tsitsipas and, and others. And, and yeah, but, the, but there's and, the clay... The clay the clay is, is too tough. And, and, and on clay, you can do any style of play, but you have to do it all the way until the end. If you, at some moment, you, you, you are not doing precisely, and the clay is going to allow the other player to come back in that point. And he allowed Rafa a lot of times to come back in those points. And he was not ready that Rafa come back. Come on, he's the best in, 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 in the history of the histories of the of the clay so he's gonna go back in every one of the points and that's what he did when they match got tied at the end so rafa was there and he was not playing as good as the first set or the second set but he was there and he was more aggressive and he was pushing him but he was ready to play every point and every every shot in every point which is a, a difference you know it's like it was, it was looking like if he was not ready to play some shots and and and, and that was a um a surprise at some moment yeah how well do you know Rafa? Well, I, I, I know him. I was, I was um, um, organized in the academy in Spain. We organized some tournaments when he started. He won um, under 14 and then he won the, one of his first futures. He won it in, in, in the academy. And then from 2006 to 2008, I was the captain from the Davis Cup. So he, he played some, some of the ties with with me and and those three years i had a lot of relationship because i was going traveling to the slums and following up on him and and um do you, do you have dinner with him do you uh do you do you know do you know uh all these guys benicio and and tony and everybody are you friends yes. with these guys yeah we were we know each other well and and um i did the davis cup until 2008 and then in 2012 i moved to naples so it's not that, that uh, we hang out together, but we are from the same industry. We know each other and, 
and we know each other well. So, and um, and uh, we've been knowing each other for a lot of years. So, but Rafa is a is a is is is, is like incredible mind. Is 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 like a person like he's like a like a sponge. Like he will be there and receiving any information to be to for him to to put it together then to go to the battle you know it's like like go and i i'm gonna go fight and that's what he loves and 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 he loves the process to be ready to go towards and and to be able to compete like sometimes he will be like with a lot of difficulties he almost cannot train cannot but he prepares and he has to be on the on the bench and he has to be with his physio and and to go to warm up, he has to be there for 45 minutes, and then he goes warm up, and he starts slowly, but then and he starts to play well, and then another 45 minutes after warm up to get that body ready, and then before the the match again, and then he goes to the match and he's like, forgets about everything, all the pains, everything, and he just focus on 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 getting every one point, another point, another point, another point. So it's like he's never get like he don't relax. He just wants every point. He does every, every ball in every point, and and uh, and I think the last years he he also become much more aggressive, and 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 he understand that he has to make some mistakes to be aggressive, and and and, and the aggressivity gave him I think um, a different standing on the court because yesterday he in some moments he was he wasn't so aggressive with some of the shots, and and that's a, like a kind of like a new Rafa to do that on clay is so difficult. If, if the number one Djokovic, the most aggressive, cannot do that, but Rafa did it. So that's, that, that, that was, the, I think, a big difference. How good is Carlos Alcaraz? Is he uh, the next Rafa? Is he the next big-time guy? Well, actually, Alcaraz, this past Sunday, at the same time that Rafa was, was uh, winning, we had a challengers in the academy in Barcelona. And and he won it. He he beat uh, Zumur in the final, which was a ex top thirty player in the world. And Alcaraz is it. Um, he looks really really good. But who knows if he's the next Rafa? Next, I don't think it's it's, it's another. You, you cannot compare. He's he's a very good prospect because at very young age he's very competitive. He has a really good mind and he plays very well the important points. He's very well surrounded. He has a coach, um, another number one, Juan Carlos Ferrero. He has a very good work ethics. And he's one of those players, you know, in Spain, uh, what we do at, at the end is that we, we come out with incredible professionals. So Rafa is like the ultimate professional to, to play well in tennis. But then you have you had Ferrer, which was better. But you have like Bautista or Ramos or Carreño, which are not like, 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 you will not see them like making a, a splash like 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 on fame or anything, but they will live and they will breathe and they will sleep tennis. And they don't and lose that, either, by the way. They don't really yeah. lose too many matches, man. <laughs> no, but because they love and they have that passion to be able to compete. They don't have big games. So Alcaraz is, is that way. He's a he's an, an already a little professional, but very professional. So why so is a player? Why how do you explain Spanish tennis, the success and the development? Because from my purview, from, from Manolo Orantes to Manolo Santana to Sergey Bruguera to you to Juan Carlos Ferreira to David, Fer it's unbelievable. I mean, to Rafa, it's unbelievable 
Alex Correcha, Alex Correcha, two in the world. Albert Costa, Carlos Costa. Uh, you won 15 tournaments. Your sister. How is it that you, Spain, with players from all over, two different regions, right? Madrid, Barcelona, uh, guys from islands, right? Right? These guys are from islands, man. How is it that the success is so incredible? What have you done differently there than anywhere else? Well, I, I, I always defend the, the, the club system. So, so the, the club um, um, is the biggest driving force that we have in Spain. So, so there is a lot of little clubs which they, they, you go there and you can play, socialize and, and be member and play. And so, tennis clubs. Mo- yeah, tennis most, clubs. Of those, most of those tennis clubs, they just are part of the engine of, 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 making, of making players. It's not only about the socialization and the, and the monetization of the tennis. It's, it's, it's that most of those clubs, they allowed the, 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 they allowed the, the, the development of, of, of competition. What do you mean? So, okay, so they have a little school, they play tournaments, they let the coach go with the players in the weekends, they do a small events, they play against, and, and there is a very big team, team competition structure when they are little. So I remember when I was like 12, I will play 12. What was your club? What was your club? My club was a, it was called Pedralbes and, and was a, was was a, was a small club that that grew that born in the in the in the seventies and and uh, I was playing in the eighties but it was a nice generation we had an, a good coach and then we compete twelves fourteens sixteens eighteens and then we compete on the third category second category so you will play team tennis every weekend almost six months a year and you will play for a, for your club with your name you know. And, 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 and you will embrace that name. So you will, you will get some property because you will play with your friends in the different categories. And, and I think team tennis in Europe makes a huge difference because they, in Italy, in Germany, in France, we compete team tennis all the time. It's not like, it's not like playing with you, for you, which is you also have your nationals and your regionals and your tournaments. But I think team tennis is very important and, and the clubs are willing to do that, you know. And on top, there is, there is a much more proximity. So then, then you have more level together. So, so if you play with good players, you beat good players. So, so is, here the distances in the U.S., they are so big. So to, find, to play with someone good, you know, like it's, it's expensive. It's, it's difficult. And uh, over there, you play a lot with higher level. And those clubs, they do futures and they do money tournaments. So you go out for the normal. I don't believe so much on the pathway with the, with the, let's say with the tournaments on the edge. I like that you play matches and you get the passion to compete, but to learn to compete. And for that, it's better to play with a coach that makes you trick shots, that, or or lobs or so, than to play with a player that is like you. I think that you you become more crafty, you become tougher. And, and, and he makes your life more difficult, and then that, that helps on the, on the development. And in Europe, you play a lot of that. How detrimental has it been to American tennis, the lack of clay tennis that these kids play? Well, U.S. make a decision in the, in the eight, when they make the change of the, of the plastic needles to hard courts. It wasn't, because I, 
83 or 82, no? When they made the... the yeah, street. maybe even earlier, maybe 80 yeah. or something. Yeah, in the 80 or something. So I think that moment was, was a key moment because, because when, when you decide to go hardcore and then every other tournament, every other club becomes hardcore and, um, and um, the U.S. Is, is, is all about monetizing the, 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 the clubs and monetizing the system. So, so at the same time that they went the transition towards the hardcore, they went also the transition from converting the original tennis clubs that they had those tennis schools, that they had those tournaments, that they had those drivers, like the Memphis Racket Club and the Forest Hills. And so all of them start to socialize and become clubs that they have to, 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 to become successfully economically. So, so it was, it, and, and, and the tennis schools become big and many students, so, so they lost their drive to be able to go and, 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 and develop players. And, and uh, okay, the, many of the players at the time, because they were at the biggest success, they, they came out from the college pathway and, uh, and, and the academy's pathway at the time when, when the biggest generation of players with the Agassi and Sampras and, and uh, Courier and Chang and Todd Martin, five top tens, five top tens in America that they didn't come from college, but all the ones before they were coming from college. So the high school pathway, was is, is not working the um, the middle school pathway is not working and the clubs at that age from let's say middle school is 11 to 18 so the clubs don't work either so the only pathway that exists is the USTN and it's all spread out so, so how are you going to develop yourself only through private coaching or through going from here to there so, so there is no there is no attachment in those in the most important years you get you lose so much talent because to whom you attach yourself. If you play USTA, you don't belong to nowhere. You need to belong to where, because when you're gonna struggle, if you don't belong to a club or you are, if you are not with a team or a group of players, you're gonna stop the sport because you're gonna go somewhere else. And, and, and I think there is a lot of great players, but they many, many players, they just give up because they, they don't have a, somewhere to attach themselves. Like myself, I was not doing well at 14. They kicked me out from the federation. But my club took me on and they make me practice. So if it was not that club, I quit. And I will never be a player because there was no more chances. So, and I think there is many of those clubs in, in Spain that they still do help you and, or in Italy or in France. But here in the US, there is not that kind of club that you can go to continue developing and there is not that, 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 that way that they say, where I go? And you can only go to, the, to the, some of the academies that we try to substitute that, but, but it's, 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 it's very difficult. Raleo Pelka, for example, is a kind of player that, that is this myth about, about the clay, uh, that he will not be able to play. So he will not be able to play with the same patterns and system that he does maybe on grass. But with his game and with his serve, if he adjusts well, he will be a tough opponent on clay. Very and he's, tough a, one, but, and but he's he a good mover, man. He can yeah. move. Yeah, but he needs, he, needs, he needs to really understand what he really needs to do there and to be, continue being competitive because clay is going to allow him to serve better. And to, but he has to have the drive and the mindset. Uh, it, it, the tough part is that the mindset on, on clay because the clay don't give you any free point. When you are used to have too many free points, it's like if you are spoiled. So to play on clay, even if he serves the same, 
he's going to have to work well the point after the serve. And that's what he's not used to. Because in the other surfaces, he gets three points. And here, no. But Clay makes you, but to that point, does Clay make you a better player? Well, it makes you, at, um, it makes you, it, 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 it raises your mental, your mind, the mindset demand to be able to do what you do well in longer periods of time. And accepting that the other one, when he does well, you have no chance also. It's like he accepts that in, in, hard, in, in, in grass. You see, he serves amazing, but he accepts that the, 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 the Isner serves amazing. So they go to find those very few points. On clay, it's the same, but you just have to do well every point. So there is not gonna help, the court is not gonna help you to, to make more points. Let's move into our third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. Uh, now, where does then, your then be, yeah. you, will, you will be sure then. <laughs> sure, come on, man. You were top 100 for 10 solid years. But where does your tennis begin? My tennis, be, tennis begins in Spain. My parents move cities, and then they make me play in this tennis club in the mountain. And I'm hold on a second, but you're you're you were are born in Madrid. Is that is that? Yeah, I was born in Madrid. My parents were living in at the time in in Pamplona. And then they moved to Barcelona, and uh, and then that's when we started to play tennis. When they moved to Barcelona, because they were looking for a for a club to meet people to socialize, because they didn't know no one. But you so lived they, in you lived in Pamplona. We lived in Pamplona for like four years, five years. My brother, Javier, born in Pamplona. Did you ever see the Bulls run? Yes, of course. Yeah? Is that cool? <laughs> I, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's cool or not, but they say uh, it's very, very, very emotional. And, and the people who does it is uh, such a big adrenaline. And, uh, and uh, there is a lot of drinking that week to do that. <laughs> you got to have a few drinks. I'm sorry, uh, continue. <laughs> Yeah, and um, but it's a big tradition over there, and and then my parents. But you got. Signed, but Pamplona, you got. They, they signed in this club, and and there was a tennis club, but but they had a lot of sports, and then they moved to Barcelona. They signed to this club, that they had only tennis courts, and then we started to play there, and and we just were in the, this life of the tennis club, and started to compete, and slowly liking it, you know. Now, um, Lau Valverde was uh, a friend. She told me that. You, you didn't tell me this, but I want to just backtrack for a second. She said that you have an interesting story that when you came up in tennis, you were fat and you were, they didn't think you were. When they, yeah, Laura is, uh, is, 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 is one of my, my, let's say, greatest stories in, in from the academy. She, she, uh, she's like an incredible character and, and um, she stayed four years in Barcelona, all the high school, and then she went to Miami. She was all American, and then she became coach in Miami, and she's now doing some great things through the through tennis and through female tennis, and she has a, this this dream of 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 because, and she's gonna arrive to that dream because she really loves the tennis and she loves the industry, and I'm sure that she's gonna do amazing. But yeah, I was the you know when I was when I was 14, I was not growing, I was little and I, and I was fatty, so. It was, it was like, um, and they call me Bolita. Bolita is like little ball in Spain. So, so, and that's why I told you before that they kicked me out from the Federation because the responsible there, he said that I was a little guy and not physical and I will never make it. 
So, so he had a not, not very good eye at the end <laughs> of who can make it or not, because at the time was no players in Spain, you know. But um, so that I was lucky. I grow after some months and then I start to beat everyone that I was losing against, I was beating. So then the, the federation called me back and said, oh, maybe you can play. And, but yeah, so the, it's very important on those early years that you don't discourage yourself. And, and that you keep, in some way, you keep going. Even if, if you have the skills, but you don't have the wins, that you keep going because this is, gonna, this is a long-term fight. And, when and, uh, you, and many people only looking for results, you know? When did you know you could be a pro tennis player? Was there a, a day or a match or a moment or a, a, a tournament or a win? Yeah. You have, you know, like... Even when I, I started to re, re, do really well at 17, even at 18, I was still talking to some of the colleges to come to college because I could never think that I could be a pro. You know, like, like I, I, I was almost going to Pepperdine. I didn't go, and then my sister took my place. And, uh, and, um, it, but, you know, like, it's from, like, I went to play these nationals in the second category. I won it. The week after, I qualified for the first category, and then I won the nationals all the way, like the national championship, and I beat all the Davis Cup players. So, and they asked me, "Oh, you're gonna play Davis Cup?" And I say, well, "I don't wanna play Davis Cup." And then the, Santana was the captain, say, "You are not gonna say if you are gonna play or not." If and he put me, you know, but I say, "Okay, so <laughs> you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice." Me, he he put me in Davis Cup, so I said, "Maybe maybe I'm better than what I think I am." So, but the, then in three months, I was. 17 in the world. So then I said, well, I, I am a professional. So, but it was super fast. But it's not that I was thinking I can be a, a 17 in the world, but you start winning. So I won, I won in, 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 in Italy, in Bari. I make the semis. I take a special exam. I go to Nice. I take a special exam. So I, in, in three tournaments, I was super high on the rankings and, and I qualified for the French Open. I won three rounds. So I was sixth in the world. <laughs> Unbelievable. And you have an older sister who played pro tennis. Then you, yeah. then is it Javier, then Arancha? Is Arancha the yeah. youngest? Yeah, Javier is three years younger than me. He was number one junior in the world. Well, and you know, Arancha was to... a number one, number one junior, but, but in the, in the, in the boomans. You know? But I have and to they... tell I have to tell you, um, I, with my father, saw your brother beat Luke Jensen to win the Orange Bowl. Yeah, and yeah, I was at, at Flamingo Park. I went with my father, and we saw Javier, and he said, "Oh, this is Emilio Sanchez's brother." Was he supposed to be better than you? Well, he was better junior than me because um, on, uh, he was number one. He won, I think, he won Wimbledon and then the Orange Bowl, and um, he 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 was an an amazing amazing prospect. And I, in my year of juniors, I I was playing at the same year as Becker and Edberg. So, but Edberg won the slam in juniors. He won all the four slams. So I played the final in Orange Bowl. I lost to, you remember, Ken Carlson, the Jordan Sweet. That was so tough. And um, so Ken I was, Carlson I, gave you a hard time in your pro career too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we had some, some great battles with him. And, and uh, I, they, before the Orange Bowl, uh, we beat um, with Demi well. We beat Boris and and uh, and, Hel and Jelen in the final of the Shanghai Cup at the time, the week before. So it was it was it was tough to do well in the juniors at the time. But my brothers did very well, and he made it to the 
he was in the top 30 of the world in singles as well and top 10 in doubles so he was a very good player and and uh, i think he he had a, a super super fluent and nice serve but um he needed a bit more of weight on his shots he 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 uh, he needed a bit, like for example, when we played, I, I had a bit of advantage because my 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 game was a bit more heavier than Javier, and so I I dominated him a bit. But but uh, he he was an amazing player. Yeah, he had a great career. Now, how did you get very good? How did you become elite? Well, you know, I, if you start to think, um, on on your story, I. I went super fast on the tour, and the, on my first year, I went. I was sixth in the world. So I, I played, I played the last sixteen in the in the French Open. I played with Jimmy Connors. He killed me for for the intensity. But that year, I was already sixty. So I played maybe two or three qualies. So it was I was very fresh as 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 losses. So I was I was um, um, with high expectations. I think that's very important when you go very fast up. You 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 don't have fear of of winning, so and uh, I went very fast up, and um, I went. I think my my second year I struggled a bit, but my third year I was already in top fifteen in the world, and I I made the final in Rome, so I I I was already set set up there, and um, and I, I you know like when you are first year I did well, second year I struggled. I went down almost until 100, and then I came back and I was top 20. So, but you make the steps. You you don't think you can make it to the top 20, but you start to win, and it's it's, it's like you go up and and you keep winning, and then you go up and then you go up until you arrive to a moment where you need to reinvent yourself and to go to the next steps. And that's what I did. Those first two years, I I worked really hard to be able to be competitive on hard courts. I spent a lot of time here in the US, losing every match. I was top 20 in the American, um, I was here for three months. I didn't win one set and I couldn't compete. So I was losing badly because my, my game was not used to play on, on, on hard courts. I, ball was too fast. I remember on my last uh, tournament, I went to practice and when I came back, I tell my coach, I see the ball today. And then that was my first, that my first set, I think, that I won in, in, in Harcourt was against Ben Testerman. And, and I, I started to compete. He was an American player from college. And, and, and I felt I, I could play. The year after, I started to win matches on Harcourt. Would it be fair to say that your success on Harcourt is what kept you in the top 20 and then into the top 10 for those five years? I mean, you were basically top 20 for about five years from what I looked at. Yeah, and, and, and not only that, but also like at the start, I was, I was very close to do really well on, 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 on Paris. A couple of years I lost in the quarters. One year I lost to Villander in the 88 that I, that I had him one set and set was in the second and he won it after in the open also. So, but those, those, those situations, that uh, that were created after uh, the hardcore keep me keep me longer and 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 and, and a higher higher standard because because uh, the clay season was very short so so that investment that I did going to play and trying to play at the time that it was like the time of the specialist so the you you will go to play the Americans will go to play on clay and nothing 
because the clay season was longer. And when we come here and nothing, but that investment of playing, learning, keep working, it helped me to then have a much longer career after on even on, on hard course and it helped me a lot for the doubles also because at the start I couldn't play doubles well but playing so much on hard course made me more move forward take the ball earlier and, and, and that helped me a lot for the doubles. I was going to ask you how important was your doubles to your singles success and it was key it was totally key because um for me, one of my problems is that that I was seeing the net so far, you know, like I was playing and I was hitting super well, but I will not see the chance to go to the net and see the other court. You know, I was seeing it from the back, but not when I was coming in. I, I, it's like a, if I had a huge highway. And the important when you go to the net is, is like you have a small road that you can cover both sides, you know. And, and um, with doubles, the, the area that you have to cover is smaller. And initially it was very difficult because the people who play doubles always make you play low. But slowly I started to arrive closer and being able to volley. And, and, and that gave me the skills to be able to understand and see the small areas on the court that you can do damage to the other one. And then in singles you have a bigger spaces. So, so it helped me a lot. What was the difference in your tennis when you got to seven? Were you just in the best shape of your life? Were you just very confident? Did you have some easy draws? Was it? Were you, are you just? Were you? Were you a much better player at seven than you were at twenty? Um, well, I think that that um, you you start to play better the the points with the in the bigger matches. So it's, it's like an adjustment. So so you arrive there, you are fifteen, fourteen, fifteen. So at my arrival to the to the top, there was the older generation with the Lendels and McEnroe's and and that they are five six years older than me. That they were still, even Corners was still playing like Gomez and all these guys. And then um, my years was with the Bilander and Edbergs and Beckers and uh, and and Forget and Metzger, Cash. They, they they were my generation. And then you have the other group of players coming after that they came in very young with the Agassi, Sampras, and, 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 and Courier, and these guys. So we were playing a lot of guys, like 15, 20 guys, at different tennis, all of them different tennis, different characters, all at the same time. So you had to understand your game and find ways to be able to do your game in the important moments with completely different guys. And uh, and that that uh, developed this this uh, skill to be able to 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 adapt and to be very versatile towards depending who you play. So from to playing from Agassi to Sampras or to Edberg or to to Becker or Len, completely different. And Muster and those guys. So so I think that when you start to use better your tools, when you don't have such so many weapons as me but you use them better on those important moments, you start to get more chances and you start to beat those guys better. And physically you become more compact and then you are used, you are used to, you get used to use it more. And, and I, but I, I think one of my regrets is that I didn't find a way when, when I had to do the, the next step, come out from the comfort zone to be there longer. It's like if I get more this like 92, 93 were years that, I was in my best shape, but there were years of disappointment. So, so like if, if I was not able to reinvent myself to, to go to the next step. And then when you don't reinvent yourself, 
is not that you stay where you are, you go down. You know, you still play, you still win, but, but you start to lose all the motivation and everything. So your career goes up and then goes slowly down. The best players, like the, what is incredible about this generation of Federer's and Nadal's and so is that Nadal is 34 or, 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 and the last three years, he's been improving. He's been gotten better. So, so me, at, after 30, I was like rocketing down. <laughs> I didn't find a way to go up, you know? And, and, and that's the biggest difference from these guys like Sampras or Agassi, is that they always have this way. In my sister, they find a way to keep themselves up there. Like they love so much what they do. What was it like to be on tour uh, with your sisters, watching your sister's success? Was, was it an amazing thing or was it just like you guys were playing and she was playing and, you know, you'd see her at dinner? I don't know. Like, what was that like? Well, in, at that time, there was not so many tournaments together. It was only the slums. Right. And, um, and so it was very nice to, to be all together in, in, in some of the cities. And, um, and it was challenging also, you know, like because my Arantxa has like seven years less than me or eight. And um, Javier, we travel a lot together. We had the same coach for a long time. So we were all the time together. But with Arantxa, we just, we just see each other there. And, um, you know, like she was always known as my little sister, but suddenly when she won the French Open, from one day to the other, and I become her brother until today because <laughs> she was better than me. So, so that was, that, that, that's been always a, a big challenge. But, you know, like I remember also one, one of, the, of the stories that from, from our family is like one year at the, at the U.S. Open, we were playing in the old Court 3, which was like, was the, the stadium, the grandstand, and then the Court 3 was like the third court on the, on the, on the old flashing middles. And um, um, I played f- first, I think. I played best of five. And then my sister played on the same court. She plays three sets. And then my brother played best of five, and he winning five sets also. So my mom sit down on that chair 11 a.m. in the morning, and she left like 9 p.m. at night. So she was in the, in the front page of the New York Times. They're making an article. This lady didn't stand up in 12 hours from the one seat, you know? Watching, so, her, like, watching her three kids. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So that, was, that, that, that didn't happen often, but, but it happened there. And it was, it was amazing that they make her this article in the New York Times, you know? Um, did, do, you have a spe- do you have a great memory of her on tour? Was there a match you attended or was there a special? Well, I think that the match that impressed me the most was his, in, in her first Roland Garros. She was like 15 or so. Like she already played on the tour and, and she was super good. But she beat uh, Chris Ever in the, in the round court, in the court number one in Roland Garros. The bull, the bull court. Yeah. And, and, and Chris Ever was like, in, in on, it was like the Rafa of the time of clay in women. So, so she she beat her in in very tough three sets, and and the the energy and the and the aura that she had on that on that court that was I said this girl is gonna do well. And and one or two years later, that when she, she I think the year after she won it. So so and, and but that match with Chris Ever, um, I think that that impressed me, inspired me the most. I, thinking that she was really going to be amazing. And after she won 
final against a graph or some final against sellers, which are incredible match matchups, you know, like to beat them in like for her with the little girl, no shots, but beat those number one in the world is, is, is like um, incredible, incredible setup, you know, like I think that that's, that's her biggest asset is that um, she was number one at the time of the two of the biggest players ever, which was Celes and Graf. And, and and she beat those in the in the big matches with with not so much. So that's that's what shows her 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 strength. She had some troubles in recent times. Um, how is your family? Well, she she, you know, she's a she's a fighter, and and uh, and she had some a lot of difficulties, and uh, but she's 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 fighting so hard, and um, she's. She's uh, like the perfect mother. Like she has two kids, and she she takes the the the, um, the education and the and the living and and living for their kids like if it was their her tennis career. So she's completely focused on that. She's disciplined. She's effort, and and she's like handling the 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 the, the, the situations with the legal things and with the divorce and everything the best that she can but she's super focused on that and and i think that we can be very happy because she's in some way she's coming back to tennis so she's doing some some uh, tv she's doing some seminars she's doing so she's she's back in tennis and she wants to show the people what she has with the tennis she's coming sometimes to my academy here in naples to do some some lessons some clinics and she's gonna come in december to do some some coaching courses and I think that's great because only her story is so amazing that I think for the people that we love the tennis, it's, 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 it's going to be a, a great opportunity for her to, 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 to continue and to, and to be challenged and, and to show what she really is. Listen, she's a Racha Sanchez Ricard. She better be in tennis, man. Come yeah. on. <laughs> your, your best moment on tour. Uh, I'm guessing it was your win at Barcelona against Bruguera, but you have to tell me. <laughs> Well, that was a very emotional because um, it was a year that we had a lot of, you know, the typical issues with with, with the Davis Cup and fights here and there, and and uh, and uh, I was the tournament was in my club, and uh, and uh, but everybody was going for this little kid and that was new and everything, so it was very emotional that that um, I, we had that match and I ended up winning in my club and so, but I think that that was in '91. Um, but I had some great years, like 86, uh, 88 was a great year that I, 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 I think that, that that year was a key because I, I could win a slam and I didn't. And 90 was a very big year. I qualified for the Masters. But I was doing 91. I win Rome. I win Barcelona. And I had another big win as well. So, and 92 also. Like, so those years, those five years, they were... The, I think they were the best, the, the best years, and with the up and downs. But apart from '89 that I got injured, I lose French and Wimbledon. I couldn't play. But the, the other years they were all really good. Uh, you learn one thing here, another one there. But they were great. Is there any greatest moment? Is there one day of your tennis life that's the best of your life? Well, for me, is the you know like is the enjoyment from the hard work that you have to put to arrive and end up winning. You know, when you win, you come out from there, it's like you are in this, in this aura, in this 
in this like you are in that moment that you are the the only one you know but but it's the process to arrive to that to that you know and and uh, and the the process of the moment of the win you know but so but but is like the 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 final result but the the like the moment of playing like you're playing a match here and there's one person watching and then you just go and and just play for that person you know is is that's magical i think and and um and there is a, a big change of playing when 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 there is some people watching that you want to show yourself you want to expose yourself and that that's something that always attracts me so much why is your academy better than any other academy i don't know if we are better but what i can say is that that um we we are we are as an academy what we were as players so so it's it's like like um for us what we realize is that the people who pass through us they what they remember is about the hard work they remember the respect they remember the discipline and that's how we were as how we were as players we we, we were not this one point away so in in coaching is the same thing in the teaching is the same thing so if that's what andy or dimitrov remembers about their stay with us that means that that's our essence. Independently of how we teach the forehand or, or the backhand or the movement, we are really good on teaching the kids how to move to maximize their potential. But I think that is more important how, how they develop themselves and how they, those values are, they become part of their character on, on, on their way to live. And that's what they learn through us when, when we, because we are there committed. And, and that, if that makes us better or not, I think there is a great academy that they try to do the same. But I know that with my teams and my people, they care for these students and they live for these students. So and when you do that, and then you have the success. And I got to come check it out. I got to see it. Let's move into our fourth set. This is the 10 ball scramble. Uh, we okay. do not do a deep dive. I just say it. And then you say what comes into your mind. Are you ready? Yeah. Your favorite racket? Head. Which one? Well, it was a hard, graphite pro. Absolutely, because, but then for 30 years now, I'm with the prestige. So head prestige at the moment, yeah. And head because it's, it's a loyal and, and strong company and, and they've been supporting me when I played good, but also when I play bad. Emilio Sanchez loves head. What size grip do you use? Uh, four and three eighths. And what's, how do you string your racket? Uh, I always play with gut, <laughs> still today. And uh, I always play 24, 23 kilos, which will be like 50, 52, 54, 52, pounds. 54 yeah. pounds. Yeah. All gut. Now, where do you keep your trophies? So... Some in my mom's house and uh, a few ones in, uh, in one uh, drawer that we have here. But uh, I'm not, I was not very good with trophies. But where's, uh, your, where's I, your Rome trophy? My Rome trophy, actually, I don't know what it is. <laughs> where about the French Open? I think, uh, actually, sorry. I think that the Rome trophy, now that you say, is in the, in the, in the sports museum in Barcelona. I think that in, 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 in Barcelona. Yeah. That's beautiful. You win the Italian Open, it goes to the museum. That's cool. Yeah. Do you save your did you save your credentials? I have many of my credentials. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of like like 
I, memory from these memory they I have them in a box there all filled up but but they have them <laughs> they're just sitting in a box everyone yeah. has them in a box um, your greatest win my greatest win wow uh, I don't know um, I had the chance to to beat most of the great ones uh, but every time I beat them, they beat me three or four times or five times. So, <laughs> but uh, probably, um, you see, for example, I always tell this story. I, in Rome, one year I beat Crickstein was six, Becker was three, and Bilander was two. And I lost the final to Lendl, which was number one. But then another year, I didn't beat one top ten and I won the tournament. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, so your biggest win, you didn't, but other year you beat everybody, but then you lose to the number one. So, but um, one of the of the, I think that the the, the nicest the nicest win that that um, that I had was was in um, in Bostad when I beat Bilander in his home in the final. That was one of the nicest wins I think because it was so difficult. You beat Bilander where in Borstad? In Boston, in, in Sweden, yeah. In Boston. In, in, in wow, you beat Vlander in Sweden. That's incredible. That's a great win. Yeah. <laughs> and in the semis, I beat, I beat Stefan Edberg also. Woo, that's a, that's incredible. Tournament. That's yeah. a good tournament. Now, yeah. you're the sweet killer. Now, um, you're, do you have a worst loss? Worst loss? Worst loss for me, absolutely, is the one with John McEnroe in the, in the Australian Open. I lost to him in I, 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 in the New York as well the year before in in '91 in in five sets I was two sets one to one up, but in Australia I won in Sydney so I beat Muster in the final in, or uh, in semis and then um, I think Jorge in the final, but then in the in the Australian Open I I, I lost to John in the fourth round. He was two sets up I came back two sets all he was five to up three match points, I come back 6-5 up, three match points for me, and I lost 8-6 in the third. But it's not because of the loss, because it was a great match and John is an amazing competitor, but it was more for the, for the outcome on my mind. You know, like when I lost that match, I lost the drive and the, I, I got so disappointed because, and on the way back on the plane, I was telling my coach, I should retire now. And he said, why? He said, you're playing so well because I will never win a slam. So from, from some way, I, I, I never create another chance to win a slam. I, may, I win matches and I make the whatever, last 16 and so, but it was never the same as before that you always will go to this tournament thinking that you could make it in the end. And then you create the opportunity. So that's why it's so important to dream. If you stop dreaming or your mind, your subconscious thinks that you cannot win, at the end you don't create the opportunities and you don't win those big matches. Your favorite tournament? Mm. I don't know. It's I love Kitzbühel in Austria. I've heard you say that before. Uh, your favorite city? Uh, your favorite city? My favorite city is Rome. You've got good taste. Your favorite court could be any court in the world. My favorite court is. Uh, clay court. <laughs> is there any special place? Is it your home club? Is there a court that you played your best tennis on? 
Um, well, I, which is my favorite core and central core? Probably, probably the one that, you know, like why I love Kitzbühel is, is because it's a ski resort, it's very small. And they, they were playing, we were playing this, this tournament in this, in this like um, central court that was all wood, you know, wood around the city. All wood, all yeah, wood. And, 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 and it was so, so special with trees around. And, uh, and that place uh, touched me a lot. Also, it's very nice to play in the Foro Italico with those statues around you. That's magical, magical court as well. I think that, and, 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 and that with the, with the status used to be the central court when, I, when we played. Nicola Pietrangeli, Nicola yeah. Pietrangeli. Yeah, you could not see the status because they had the stands, but now with this, with the, without the stands, you see the status around that, that court is so nice. That's magnificent. The most irresponsible thing you ever did with prize money right after a tournament. <laughs> Craziest thing you ever did. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I was never very crazy, very crazy about I, yeah, with no. the money. With, I never did like some crazy stuff, I think. <laughs> no? Okay. We're, we were living at the time of the Russians, and so anything you will do, like they will go in the morning and spend $30,000 in, in a shop, and then they will come to the locker room, and, and you think, these guys are crazy or what? <laughs> you saw these, the Russians were spending their money big, huh? Yeah. Buying Rolexes and stuff, huh? Yeah. That's funny. Um, let's move into our fifth and final set. This is yeah. what I've been calling the king of the court, but I, and it's where I typically ask, like, if you could make a change in tennis, what would it be? But because of the pandemic and the way things are just so screwed up and so, so uncertain, I'm curious to know how you're feeling about tennis right now. Well, tennis is a, is a, is a our industry is, is my life is tennis make me how I am and, and for me tennis is so important and and um, even if we we have been declared the safest sport in the during pandemic because we play far and there's a lot of distancing so there's not so much risk when you play tennis to 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 be having the 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 the, the, the virus um, the people is, is not moving around, the, the tournaments are suffering, the clubs are suffering, and uh, the coaches are, 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 are suffering. So, so it's a very difficult, very difficult moment for, for our industry. And we have to readapt and reinvent and, and, and do other things like you're doing or like we try to do in other ways. We're going to do our coaches courses online and we always like to do them on, on site because the people learn how to feed well the balls, which is very important. But, but so you have to readapt to the situation. And, but um, if it was no pandemic and, and, uh, and, um, and we could live normally, uh, if, I will re have, uh, if I could change something, is, is, uh, is grow our industry. From the bottom of the pyramid, let's say from the club system, that it has to become much stronger the club system, organize much more club competition and everything, better schooling, better ways of training, and then arrive to more people to make them have the passion for our sport, that, that, that passion that we have, that 
gave us so many opportunities that that um, in today's fast world and digital world is very difficult to find the love for our sport so uh, the only way you can have more people in our sport is they really get the essence of 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 the magic that there is our sport with the competition with the people and with the drive and with the physical and the mental and everything and and that will be my ideal world that that more people loves more the tennis like we do i and, tell you what we, man because of the one thing i will say i'm going to end here but one thing i will say is i i i'm on both coasts i'm in new york and i'm in la ever since that pandemic man you can't find a tennis court avail open everybody's yeah. playing tennis yeah tennis and is that, tennis is is the courts are full because people yeah, can't go to the gym they want to get outside it's safe but i have a feeling that we have a moment where some of this can tick up it can yeah. it can grow up right now yeah and i i i i hope that the, that the people that they are in the biggest institutions they find ways eh, to 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 make the industry bigger and 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 that we arrive to more broader public and more more fans and and but more people plays and 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 we have more access to more talent and uh, and we keep going you know and we find ways that that uh, we, this the tennis is a great sport for 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 growing for developing for 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 becoming better better people you know so so we need to to be there and hopefully we're gonna keep going. Hey man, I loved every second of talking with you. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. Thank and you very thank much. Thank you so much for everything you do for for our world and for our industry that is helping a lot. Thank you. Hey man, uh, hopefully next time I see you, it'll be at the Sanchez Casal uh, uh, camp. We got to do yeah, that. Yeah, it will be great. We can see each other here in Naples, or let's go to Barcelona, or the other sides, Atlanta, China, wherever you want. We got to do it, man. Yeah. Emilio, on live. Hundred percent, Emilio Sanchez Vicario, you are released. Thank you so much. Take care. Huge thank you to Emilio Sanchez, and thank you as always to Sergio Tacchini. See them at sergiotacchini.com and use my code Craig30 in all caps at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. With the holidays coming up, the 2020 Quarantine Classic t-shirt is in high demand. We will not be making any more. We are taking orders for the Blanc, the Terabat 2, and the Ver, which is green. Shoot me a note if you want to get on that program. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro and you are released.